Well, good morning to all of you, and a special good morning to all of you joining us at Calvary Quakertown. And just in case you folks at Souderton didn't know this, last week at Quakertown, for our grand opening, we had 633 people show up. So I think that deserves a well done for all of those folks that uh, left Souderton to go there and for all of the work that they're doing in uh, inviting neighbors and friends, co-workers to join them. And I just remind you as well as say uh, well done to them, we should be doing the same thing, inviting neighbors, co-workers and friends to fill the seats around us, not so we have tons and tons of people but because more and more people need to hear what Jesus has done for them and the difference that he can make in their lives and their eternity. Well, this morning we're starting a new series called This is the Life. And if you watch the the bumper before the message, that little video, um, you probably saw some snapshots of times in your life when you may have said, ah, this is the life. You're lying on a beach where it's 85 degrees, as it should be with nothing really to do, and you say, ah, this is the life. Or maybe you hit that perfect drive down the middle of the fairway instead of into the woods, and as you're walking toward it, you say, ah, this is the life. Or maybe you're experiencing the life of someone else that they invited you into for just a small piece, and you say, ah, this is the life. A couple weeks ago, I was invited to have a dinner with a friend down in Philadelphia, and we went to a, a private restaurant, of which he's a member, And uh, so I show up at the door, and they were expecting me. I couldn't believe it. And so the guy showed me to the bar where he was waiting, and eventually the maitre d' took us to the table, and we sat down, and the food was decorated very, not enough on my plate, but it was decorated, you know, real (laughs) neatly. And and as I sat there and I thought, you know, thinking of this guy, you know, now this is the life, you know, this is the life I need. Interestingly, Jesus can be heard saying the same thing in different ways Numerous times through the Gospels. In fact, as he calls his followers to kind of get in step with his plan, as he says, I've come to give my life for you, he says to them, now, this is the life. This is where you find fulfillment. This is the life where you're going to find abundance. This is the life that God intended you to live. And what we're going to do over these next few weeks, actually all the way to Easter, we're going to walk through a few slices, a few snapshots of This is the life, the life that Jesus purchased for us, calls us to live, and then encourages us to go live it as we continue what he started. Well, this morning, we're going to start our series by looking at the team, the team of people Jesus chooses in that first community. You know, communities have to start somewhere, so we're going to kind of take roll call in that first community and take a look at some of the people that Jesus called And it's not only surprising, it's going to be shocking to look at some of them. But before we get to look at the team, it's probably important to look at the call. And the reason we have to look at the call is because language changes. And what happens when you find words in the Bible that were used as kind of everyday words back then, since they're in the Bible and human beings like to be religious, we often take those everyday words and we kind of make them real religious words. And so when Jesus calls his first followers into this little community, there are a number of words that show up that were not originally religious words, but we've made them religious words. And by making them religious words, we kind of lose the sense of what they meant. 
For example, in Matthew chapter 10, we read this. Jesus called, and we're going to start by looking at call. He called his 12 disciples. That's our first word to him. These are the names of the 12 apostles. That's the second word. These 12, that's the third word, he sent out. So let's just take a minute to look at disciples, apostles, and 12. Because those words are kind of religious sounding to us. But that day when Jesus called them, they were just normal words that he picked up. And the words had meaning for what he was trying to do. First of all, the word disciple. Now again, that's a real religious sounding word to, word to us. In fact, my guess is outside of a church setting, you don't hear too much about disciples. But in Jesus' day and in the ancient world, the word disciple just meant student. Somebody was a student. So teachers of that day, whether they were philosophers, religious teachers, whether they were rabbis, they attracted a group of disciples. They attracted students. Now when we think of student, we think of uh, sending the little kids off to school, and they go to school and they learn a bunch of facts, some of which may be used in life, most of which will be useless in life. They then come home and they kind of leave their studenthood behind for the day, and now they live real life, right? But that process is way too cognitive to understand what Jesus would have meant, and the word student is way too narrow to understand what Jesus was calling the disciples to do. The disciples traveled with Jesus. Wouldn't it be great your kids go home with the teacher, right? And they come back and see you maybe in the summer. Um, well, the next word kind of ups that a little bit, and that's the word apostles. Now, apostles, really religious sounding, right? But again, in the ancient world, to Jesus, the word apostle just meant sent, somebody that's sent out. So do you see those kind of opposite functions in the words? Jesus calls disciples to come and follow, and then he sends them out to take what they've learned into the context in which they live. Now, we talk an awful lot about that at church, right? We talk about living relationally, connected in community with Jesus and other people, and then living missionally back in your context. Uh, Dallas Willard, a Christian author uh, uh, who died a couple of years ago, wrote a, a number of fascinating books. But the one book where he writes about discipleship Right in the beginning of the book, he says, I don't like the word disciple. I don't like the word apostle. A better word for our context would be apprentice. And that really works, right? Apprentice. How many of you were an apprentice or helped someone else be an apprentice? Anybody? Yeah, we got a few of those. What do apprentices do? Well, apprentices are kind of assigned to a master. A master electrician and an apprentice, right? And then they kind of work together. But it's not just a cognitive deal, right? There's also a skill set. So there are facts you have to learn, things like this. Now, don't saw off your fingers on the job, right? That's a good fact. Don't use a sledgehammer on the plumbing while there's still water in it. Don't use your tongue to see if the wires are live. You know, things like that you learn in class. But then you go with the master carpenter, with the master electrician, with the master plumber on the job. And it kind of works like this. You're taught one little skill set, and then that day you practice that skill set. In some ways, it's kind of like when you're playing for a coach. What do good coaches do? They teach one little skill, then you go onto the field and you practice that skill over and over and over again. Then you take another skill, you practice it over and over and over again, and eventually on game day, you take all of the skills you've learned and you put them together. Now, if you read through the Gospels with that perspective, you'll see exactly what Jesus is doing. He's apprenticing the disciples and apostles. 
In fact, as you read through the Gospels, you probably are shocked at how quickly and often Jesus sends them out to do what they just learned. We're of this crazy opinion that until we're fully trained, perfectly skilled, and until we know all the details, we can't go do anything. Well, check out that group in the Gospels. They don't know hardly anything. Jesus, now go out and try this out. Then they fail, they come back, then they're really ready to learn, right? Jesus, we don't know what to do, we fail. Great, now you're, now you're excited and motivated to learn. You see, that's coaching, that's master-apprentice relationship. That's what they were doing. That's what Jesus did with the 12. And that brings us to the third word, 12. Not eight, not 10, not 13 or 20. All right, let's move on. And no, no, I'm just kidding. That would have been absolutely appalling to those Jews that knew the Bible. Now, we don't have time to spend a lot of detail on that, but let me just say this. We read in the Old Testament that one day Moses came down from the mountain, called the 12 tribes together, and announces God's plan for a community that will change the world. Jesus comes down from the mountain, calls 12 followers out of the crowd that's there, and essentially says, God is establishing a new community. That's radical, right? Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that those first 12 tribes, that fell apart pretty quickly, right? Before you know it, 10, tri 10 tribes are kind of moved. You've heard of the 10 lost tribes of Israel. Well, 10 are gone. The other two wind up going into exile. I mean, that, that's like a miserable failure. When Jesus comes, he chooses 12. This is kind of a do-over for the community of God. On their own, they couldn't do it. Jesus, God himself comes, calls 12. He's establishing the new community. 12, radical, appalling, shocking stuff. Well, now that you know the three basic words, disciples, apostles, 12, let's look at the community. Do you know what the community problem is? Here's the community problem. I'm not sure if you've ever experienced it. Here's, here's my community problem. The communities that I really, really want to be part of they don't want me. Isn't that right? I mean, the communities I really want to be part of, they say, no, 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 you, you don't pass the qualifying exam. Uh, for example, most of you uh, went to high school, and when you went to high school, you self-selected in the lunchroom by table. Isn't that right? And the tables were kind of like little communities. So, for example, there was the jock table or two, there was the uh, scholar table or two. Some of you never found that section of the room. Then there was, uh, you know, kind of the geek table or so. Then it was like the weirdo table. Uh, then there was like, you know, the bandy table, right, where all the musicians went. Lots of different tables. And you knew very quickly if you sat at the wrong table, right? Because you just don't belong there, and they send you back to your table. Or you go back and, I can't believe those strange people over there. Well, as we go through the community of people Jesus chose, you're going to say, but this group shouldn't sit together. You can't have this makeup around the same table. You need like 10 different tables for this group. Yeah, why is it that Jesus calls people that don't belong at the same table to sit at the same table? And maybe that'll give you a little understanding as to why he's called together this crazy group. Well, let's start. All we're going to do is we're going to go through the names and maybe you think, I can't, but we're going to like learn who the 12 apostles were? The 12? Yes, we are. 
if for no other reason, one day you're going to meet these guys in heaven? And, and imagine they say, well, my name's in the Bible. You don't even know who I am? Well, now you can say, no, I know who you are, right? We heard about you one Sunday. I forgot a lot about you, but I knew. Now, the good news is we don't know much about most of them. So it'll be a short, it's not, it doesn't mean it's going to be short. <laughs> um, but we only know a few things about a few, but we know a couple of interesting things that you may not have known before. So we're just going to kind of go through the list. I'll say a couple things about each of them, and then we'll be done. First of all, we come across Simon, who is called Peter. As you read through the New Testament, you'll discover that this list of disciples mentioned four times. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. Peter always comes first. He's always the first one. His name was Simon. Jesus gives him a cool nickname, right? Peter, which means rock, right? He calls him Rocky. Um, now, he's actually the exact opposite of his name, by the way. He's kind of a wishy-washy, no-backbone, foot-in-your-mouth kind of guy. In fact, many commentators refer to Peter this way. Peter is first in faith and first in failure. Let me give you a few examples. First in faith. One day, the disciples are out on the lake, and a boat's kind of bouncing around, and they fear that they're going to go under. Now, remember, Peter's a fisherman. So can you imagine how raging the storm must have been for a fisherman to be scared to death to be in a boat. It's right. Now, Jesus sent them out into the storm, which I always kind of find kind of interesting. Okay, you guys go out into the storm. That'd be good for you. So they're out in the storm. All of a sudden, as they're fearing for their lives, Jesus comes walking up to the boat, walking on the water. They're scared to death, right? Oh my goodness, it's a ghost. Who is this guy? Jesus then says, hey guys, calm down, calm down. It's me, Jesus. Now, Crazy Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, he's not quite sure, if it's really you, call me to yourself so I can walk on the water too. Now, what idiot would do that, right? That, what? He doesn't even know it's Jesus. Call me out to you. If it's really you, I'll walk on the water. If not, I'm going under. I, get, I don't know. Peter throws his legs over the side of the boat and he walks on the water to Jesus. First in faith. Oh yeah, it only took a few seconds though until he took his eyes off Jesus, saw the wind, saw the waves, said, oh my goodness, I'm going to drown. He starts to go under. Jesus has to save his butt, right? Um, first in faith and first in failure. See how that works? On another occasion, Jesus says, um, Jesus, just so you know, You've called this group a ragtag, no backbone, wimpy guys to follow you, not me. I'll even die for you. A few hours later, they're in the garden and they come to arrest Jesus. Peter denies that he even knows Jesus when a little slave girl asks him. First in faith, first in failure. That's Peter. Are any of you like Peter? I have the sneaking suspicion the reason Peter is the most famous, and the favorite of the disciples because he's just like us. We want to believe, we want to follow, and we screw up all the time just like Peter. Peter, first in faith, first in failure. Look at the next guy. His brother, Andrew. Did you know Peter's brother, Andrew? He was one of the disciples too. So you got Peter and his brother, Andrew. How many of you grew up in the, raise your hand, how many of you grew up in the shadow of another sibling. Raise your hand. That's tough duty, isn't it? I had dinner a, a couple of uh, nights ago with a friend who said, 
I had the most miserable elementary, junior high, and high school experience ever. And I didn't outlive it till I went to college because I went to a different college than she did. Who's the she? My older sister, who was a better athlete, who was smarter, who ruined my life for 12 years. Yeah, you know what that's? Well, that's Andrew, right? Who's Andrew? Oh, he's the brother of Peter. If I'm Andrew, I'm thinking, just once, can't Peter be the brother of Andrew? No, I'm always the brother of Peter. Peter gets to preach. They never asked me to preach. Peter gets all the big headlines. I get nothing. Who am I? I'm Andrew, the brother of Peter. You know, some of you lived in the shadows of a pretty significant sibling. You were always in the shadows. You were the tag along, and another person was center stage and in the limelight. That's Andrew, right? How many of you remember the Brady Bunch? All right, now we're going to see how old you are, right? What was the oldest daughter's name? Marsha was the glamorous one. And not anymore. Did you see her lately, by the way? Oh, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> the middle sister was always in Marsha's shadow. Her name was? And Jan had an expression that she would always say, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Can you imagine Andrew? Peter, Peter, Peter. Always in Peter's shadow. Peter always does it better than I do. You want to hear something really ironic? You can check this from John's Gospel. Andrew's the one that brought Peter to Jesus. Andrew was a follower of Jesus first. You ever think Andrew regretted that day? This could have been Andrew's show. I had to bring Peter. In fact, as you read through the Gospels, Whenever Andrew shows up, which isn't nearly as often as Peter, whenever he shows up, check it out, whenever he shows up, he's always bringing somebody to Jesus. The little boy who has a lunch before Jesus feeds the 5,000, Andrew takes the little boy to Jesus. The Greeks show up and they are trying to figure out what this Messiah Jesus thing is. Andrew takes them to Jesus. That's not a bad gig, huh? So maybe living in the shadows was a pain for, Peter, for Andrew while he was here. And maybe he lived in the shadows. My guess is uh, these days, Andrew's looking back and saying, it was okay being Andrew, Peter's brother. I took Peter and everybody I met to Jesus. That's not a bad deal. Any of you like Andrew? You may feel like you're in the shadows and you're a tag-along, but you take people to the right place. That's Andrew. Well, then we got another set of brothers, right? We got two brothers, Peter, Andrew. Then we have James and John. They're brothers too. They're sons of Zebedee. They were fishermen just like Peter and Andrew, and they grew up in the same town. They were born and raised in Bethsaida. Eventually went to Capernaum. They were four fishermen. In fact, they were probably related somehow. If not, they were really good friends. They help each other out on occasion. But the sons of Zebedee had another name that also involved sons of. They were also called the sons of thunder. Now, if you've, if you've ever heard the expression sons of thunder, that would not be an expression that says, you know, you really have your emotions in check. You're not a son of thunder if you kind of, you know, have things in check. No, you're a son of thunder if you are very impulsive and can't control yourself. That was James and John. A few examples. James and John once are traveling through Samaria with the other disciples. And the Samaritans and Jews, they didn't get along real well. And so the Samaritans do not show them hospitality. The way that they, Peter, or the way James and John thought they should. So James and John go to Jesus, and here's what they, now think about it. They're on the mission of love and grace, right, in the gospel. 
They go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, the Samaritans didn't show us hospitality. Should we call down fire from heaven and like scorch the whole village? Jesus says, no. But that's their attitude, right? On another occasion, James and John enlist their mother. Now think about it. They enlist their mother to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, when you enter your kingdom, how about if you put Johnny and Jimmy, one on each side of you in the kingdom, because everybody can tell they're like the two best disciples you've got. They had their mother request that the two of them be like second in, in control. The good news is at least they were letting Jesus be the first one, right? But they want to be the second one. And Jesus says, you guys don't even know what you're asking. And after that, the other disciples weren't real happy with that plan. Yeah, James and John, impulsive, can't control their anger, all over the place. Does that remind you of anybody? Is there any James and John in you? Oh, yeah, and just like the other guys, the transformation of the gospel is amazing, isn't it? The sons of thunder are eventually called apostles of love. John writes the gospel of love, but he started out as a son of thunder. It's amazing what Jesus does with a life, isn't it? So that's James and John. Right, who do we have next? We have Philip. Philip's next. Now, we don't know too much about Philip. What we do know is that he was from Bethsaida. Now, if you remember what I said a couple minutes ago, which I know is a stretch, um, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were also from Bethsaida. So the first five guys grew up together. They hung on the corner together, right? They, they were like buds, and they all get to follow. Boy, that would almost be like a little click, wouldn't it? A little click within the community. And what they learned to do, we also need to learn to do. Some of you have been at Calvary Church and been involved here for years and decades and decades. And it's real easy and comfortable for you to kind of hang out in a little group with people you knew, you grew up with, you went to church with forever. And it's kind of hard to let other people and accept them into your little group. Well, the first five were all from the same place. They all hung out together. They were best buds. And Jesus calls seven more in and says, hey, guys, you got to break up the click a little bit because there are some other people coming in. So open your arms and welcome them, not just the people you're most familiar with and most like. Is that a word some of us need to hear? Interesting, from Philip. Then we have Bartholomew. Bartholomew. Did any of you know Bartholomew was a disciple, by the way, an apostle? We don't really know anything about him, except his name. Um, we may be making too much of the name, but the, the little word bar in Hebrew means son of. The second, Tholomew, could be like fields, furrows, something like that. So maybe Bartholomew is, you know, son of the fields. Well, think of it this way. The first five grew up in a fishing village and are probably fishermen. All of a sudden, a farmer comes into the fisherman's group. Some of you are fishermen or hunters. How do you feel when the farmers come? Or how do you farmers feel when the fishermen show up? Somebody lives in a beach community downtown. Others live in the country where they grow stuff. It's kind of hard to bring things together, right? What's Jesus doing? He's calling people from all over the place, diverse backgrounds, occupations, calling them all together. Oh, and remember on one occasion when Jesus, maybe this was just for Bartholomew, we don't, you ask him one day, when Jesus said, and no one has left 
fields or farms to follow me that will not receive a hundred times as much in this life and the life to come. Maybe those words were just for Bartholomew. Because maybe as he was following once in a while, he'd say, I miss the smell of manure back home on the farm. I miss getting up at four o'clock to you know, milk the cows. And, and Jesus says, oh yeah, Bartholomew, wait, wait. Remember, you give up nothing for following me that you don't receive back now and forever. Do you need to hear that? You ever look back and say, maybe I made a bad decision back then. After Bartholomew, we get Thomas. And Thomas is often called Thomas the, he's the doubter, doubting Thomas. And the reason for that is, after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus appears to ten disciples. They're all together. Judas is gone by now, and Thomas is absent. I'm not a big meeting guy, but I wouldn't have wanted to miss that meeting. Thomas called in sick or something. He's not at the meeting where Jesus shows up after the resurrection. And the other guys say, Thomas, you don't understand. You weren't here. You missed it. Check the minutes and the agenda. Jesus was here. And Thomas says, yeah, like I believe you guys, right? No way. I'm not believing. And then he says, unless I put my finger into the nail prints in his hand and put my fist into his side where the spear went in, I'm not believing anything. Doubting, skeptical Thomas. Do you ever have doubts about this whole deal? You ever skeptical, you know, during the week, hey, I go there and I listen to them on what they do, and some people really believe this, but I'll tell you what, by Wednesday, I'm struggling. I'm not sure I get... You know what? Jesus welcomes doubters and skeptics into the group. They're in the community, right? Thomas is in the community. So if you're a doubter or a skeptic, we welcome you here. You're in the right place. Oh, yeah, by the way, a couple days later, Jesus shows up. This time, Thomas is in attendance. And Jesus says, uh, come on over here, Tom. Put your fingers right here. Put your fist right here. And Thomas gives the declaration of confidence that has rung through the corridors of history. Thomas the doubter never put his fingers there, never put his fist there. But on behalf of all of us doubters and skeptics, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. The doubter made it because he was in community and because Jesus showed up. Then we have Matthew. And who's Matthew? Well, he's the tax collector. He's the tax collector. Now, you got to understand, tax collectors were despised and hated because they worked for the Roman government. They collected taxes and sent the tax money on to Rome, and Rome used the tax money to fund the military that was actually keeping the Israelites oppressed and they were exploiting them. So they were giving money to those that were oppressing them. They were funding their own oppression. And the tax collectors were kind of the middlemen making it happen. And Jesus says, Matthew, I'd love for you to be a disciple, apostle, one of the twelve. Wow. And Matthew leaves his tax collecting booth and follows Jesus, and is a disciple, apostle, one of the twelve. Let me ask you a question. How do you think it went over having Matthew in the group? Do you think all the other Jews in the group, they were loving, Matthew, I'm, we're so glad you're here. 
Yeah, will you room with me this week? Yeah, Matthew, let's, let's go pray together. We're going to do 626, but we're going to pair up and do that for the next six months. Oh, I, want to, I want to be with you, Matthew. Yeah, I'm not thinking so. But Jesus has room for those that other people kind of reject, looked at the outside, looked down their political noses at. Jesus says, you come follow me, Matthew. You're part of the group. Then we come to James, son of Alphaeus. And you're going to discover as we go through the list, a bunch of the disciples have the same names. We have two James, we have two Judases, and we have two Simons. Maybe they didn't have any names back then, right? That's why we have to invent a lot of names today. Um, but since there were so many names, if you weren't the most prominent one, they had to kind of use a descriptor to describe you. So this James isn't the regular James, because the regular James is James, son of, son of Zebedee, brother of John. This James is James, son of Alphaeus. Or you know what his other nickname is? James the Less. How'd you like that name? Here you. Well, I'm James the Less. I'm a couple quarts short of the gallon, right? The real James is up there, right? I'm kind of the little James over here, right? Uh, yeah, you wear that nickname to you? Uh, 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 I'm little James. I'm not prominent James. I'm kind of James in the background. The real James, the other James? Yeah, that, I'm the other James. That's James, son of Alphys. That's about all we know. He's one of the 12. And uh, you'll meet him one day. How about the next one, Thaddeus? You may think, who in the world would want to be called Thaddeus? Well, I'll tell you why he's called Thaddeus, because his given name is Judas. And when you read his other name often, he's referred to this way. Oh, you mean Judas, not Iscariot. How'd you like that nickname? Oh, you're Judas. It'd be like, you know, being born, your parents give you Hitler as your name. Oh, I'm Hitler. Not the Hitler. Right, but that's what he, he's Judas, but not the Iscariot Judas. I'm the other Judas, right? And so eventually he said, heck with that. I'm just going to be Thaddeus. Um, you know, the only reason you'd ever want the name Thaddeus is if your other name was Judas, I guess. And so Thaddeus was actually the other Judas. Uh, man, and he's part of the group. And then we come to Simon. There's the second Simon, right? There are only a few names back then. But this is Simon the Zealot. Now, Simon was not called the zealot because he was really passionate about the gospel. Simon was called the zealot. See, it's capitalized. Simon is the zealot because he belonged to the zealot political party. There were different parties back then in Israel. The zealots were the terrorists. No joke. They were the terrorists. They were the terrorists against Rome. Car bombs, pipe bombs, explosions, kidnappings, that, that, that's the zealots, right? Any means possible, we're throwing off the oppression of Rome. That's Simon. And he was in the group with Matthew, the employee of Rome. How do you think the two of them got along? You think uh, fanatical Trump fans and strong Democrats that hate everything about Trump don't get along? Yeah, these two guys are in the community. And so maybe the message for us in our day is something like this. You can be a raving Trump fan and you're welcome here and you can think very poorly of him and you can think the policies are wrong and you're welcome too. This community isn't based on your political persuasion. This group is based on, this community is based on being rightly connected to Jesus, following him and seeking to implement the principles of his kingdom, no political kingdom of this world. So we get Matthew, and we get Simon the Zealot. 
And then there's old Judas Iscariot. Check out his profile. Thief, liar, betrayer. Judas Iscariot. He's listed as a member of the community. Wow. When the Gospels were written, the whole incident with Judas was already over. But Jesus called Judas Iscariot to be part of the community. And just in case you didn't remember this, in John 13, when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, does that funky duty of a, you know, a, the poorest, most wretched slave, Jesus washes Judas' feet. And then he leaves to bring in the forces that will eventually execute him. That's quite a community, isn't it? That's the team. Let's go take the world, huh? What do you think of that group? Uh, so a couple questions for you about the team. How many blue chippers are in that team? How many blue chip uh, draft prospects there? You want them on your team? There's not a blue chipper in the group. Which one are you most like or which two? I have the sneaking suspicion this community called Calvary Church, whether it's Southerton or Quakertown, not many blue chippers in this group, but Jesus called this team. Oh, yeah. And that team with no blue chippers called the 12 apostles changed the world. They changed the world. But here's the important thing. What made them great? Was it the unity that they had? All the time they spent together? The fact that they learned their lessons really well? Was it the fact that they were really diverse? You know, if we could just get enough diversity in the unity, man, we can take the word. No. What made them great? Is Jesus the one they followed? That's who made them great. And what makes and will make Calvary Church great? Not the group of people that's assembled. Not the skill sets we bring. Not the passion that we have. Not the great education or the financial resources. None of that will make us great. Only one thing. Our great Savior, Redeemer, God, makes this community great. And if that group of 12 can change the world, and they did, we have a whole lot more than 12. Just think what we can do with Jesus, the center of the team. So what's the mission? Now, we're going to talk about the mission in detail next week. We're just going to take the next section of Matthew 10. But I don't want to leave you waiting, right? Because we're relational and transformational. Jesus steps into the lives of these 12 and into the life of that community, and he transforms them. And they connected to him, they're connected to him and to each other in community. But that's only two of our values, right? That's transformation and relational. We got another one, missional. What does it say? Right after this in Matthew, in, in Matthew 10, verse 5, the 12, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. I'll give you the cliff note version today. We're finishing next week. Here's the cliff note version. Go in word and go in deed. That's the mission. The gospel is a word deed deal. It's not just a deed deal, and it's not just a word deed, a word deal, it's a word deed deal. 
After all, Jesus is the Word of God who came and spoke words of the kingdom and words of explanation, but He lived the life that we couldn't live and gives us all of the benefits and consequences of it. Jesus is a word-deed Savior, and He calls us to be a word-deed community and go and do your word-deed. Jesus called 12 disciples, and He calls a whole lot more. This room's full of them, and Quaker Town's full of them. He calls us in to send us out. We're not only disciples, we're apostles. And Jesus says, you guys are 12. The beginning of a new community that will find its fulfillment in the new community that Jesus establishes when he returns. But until now and then, take the words and the deeds of Jesus and go word and deed your neighbors and co-workers and friends because you've been word deeded by him. That's the mission. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this ragtag group of non-blue chippers. Oh yeah, the guys in Matthew 10, not the guys in the room. But Lord, I thank you for the people in this room and the people in Quakertown too. And Lord, we're thankful that you made us part of this community. But Lord, the main event isn't when we gather. The main event is when we scatter. And so Lord, just as you call us to community, you send us in mission. Just like Jesus was sent into mission for us, so he sends us into mission, word and deed. So now Lord, it's time to end this portion of community and begin this portion of word, deed, mission. We pray in Christ's name, amen.